You're going to love this. Just love it. Okay. You heard the man. Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, on 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. And up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Also streaming uh, on Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not. Radio Free Brooklyn, and GDPR Nashville, as well as Radio Sputnik. Five days a week, this is your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Uh, Des, if you could turn my mic down a little bit, I think I'm a little bit loud in my own ears here. There we go. That's a little bit better. Uh, coming up this hour... An update on the breaking news out of the continuing Oregon standoff, which, yes, continues even after arrests last night and one death, uh, as well as updates on the uh, on the bizarre news about upcoming uh, debates for both the uh, Republicans and Democrats. This is getting very strange on both the Democratic and the Republican side. It's getting strange in a year which had already been insanely strange already. Uh, Desi Doyen, of course, will be joining us. Uh, Hey, Des. And by the way, I don't know if... uh, Can you tell? We are live today, I should say, from the Pacifica Radio uh, Studios in Los Angeles, and thus my microphone... uh, is uh, needs a little adjusting. Am I okay? Coming out all right? All right. Maybe it's just the headphones. We'll figure it all out. Anyway, are you doing well, Des? Yes, doing just fine. Okay, very good. Let me know when those clips are good to go. If they are good to go, we'll get to our our, our uh, guest momentarily. Uh, in any event, yes, some uh, news on the debates uh, as the Iowa caucuses now are just days away on Monday, February 1, in case you're keeping track at home. Candidates are making their closing arguments to the first in the nation caucus goers on all sides of the political divides in the Hawkeye State. We'll also be getting to some of your calls here uh, in a little bit. If you'd like to ring in at uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. Since uh, we are going to be talking about Bernie Sanders, uh, so if you'd like to ring in either for him or again him, it may be your last chance before voting actually begins in 2016. After all the talk, it's finally 
beginning. Uh, and by the way, it's already underway. Uh, early voters uh, in a number of, uh, of the early primary states are already voting. Uh, military and overseas voters have already see, received their ballots. So uh, so there's that. Uh, that is all going underway. And so if you'd like to, uh, we are going to have a Bernie Sanders surrogate here of a sort momentarily. So if you'd like to hold his feet to the fire uh, or support him, whatever, give us a call. 818-985-5735. As I mentioned, Desi Doyen will be joining us in a little bit with the Green News Report uh, on uh, some some follow up to the great blizzard of 2016. <sighs> Turbocharged by global warming now as uh, oceans are warming at an alarming rate, as uh, Paul Douglas, meteorologist, uh, discussed on on the broadcast just a couple of days ago. If you missed that conversation, fascinating conversation, you can download it. Uh, at bradblog.com, of course, and at iTunes and at kpfk.org. Paul Douglas, who is a Republican and an evangelical Christian, says that um, that uh, uh, the warming oceans have now juiced our climate. Yep. All right. Um, we had a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, some news on this Prop 49 from 2014 out here in California. Statewide proposition essentially uh, calling on the state legislature to overturn Citizens United with a constitutional amendment. And uh, we had some news because this was a proposition that was supposed to be on the ballot back in uh, back in 2014. But the state Supreme Court at the time tossed it off the ballot. It was challenged by this group named the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association, a right wing group who um, who said that it was uh, unconstitutional or illegal or something here in the state of California to have an advisory measure on the ballot. Essentially, what the proposition, the statewide proposition would have done is uh, got the opinion of the voters of California, whether those voters wanted the uh, uh, the state legislature to overturn Citizens United or to vote in favor of an amendment, uh, a federal constitutional amendment to do that. The argument was, well, it's a uh, it's an advisory measure. That's illegal. We don't do that in California. It's got to be a statute. Uh, it's got to be a law. It's got to be a constitutional amendment, not simply an advisory measure. So it was challenged and the state Supreme Court screwed it up by tossing it off the ballot that year quote unquote, temporarily. Well, now they said, guess what? We got it wrong. And uh, it's OK. You guys can go ahead. The state legislature can go ahead and, and pass a new uh, a, a new statute to put that measure on the ballot again. And this time we won't say anything. Well, there's a problem with that. It was already passed by the state legislature to go onto the ballot. Why do they have to go through it again? Well, so we've got a, an update on that. Ernie Canning has been covering this for us now for several years over at bradblog.com as our legal analyst. Uh, he is a retired attorney, an author, a Vietnam veteran, and currently serving as senior advisor to vetsforbernie.org, Veterans for Bernie. In addition to a Juris Doctor, he has received both undergraduate and graduate degrees in political science. And so uh, let's talk to uh, Bernie, uh, uh, Bernie, see, already, 
Ernie about this, and then we'll talk about Bernie Sanders with Ernie as well. Uh, hey, Ernie Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Hey, Brad, how are you? I'm I doing talking to to Ernie for Bernie. <laughs> yes, I know. It's going to be. I'm going to probably do that ten times tonight. Uh, Ernie for Bernie is here. Before we get to uh, Ernie for Bernie, let's talk about Ernie for Prop 49. What is the latest uh, on this uh, Prop 49? Uh, as you reported this week at Bradblog.com. Well, as, as I reported there, that what happened in, in 2014 was the court, without deciding whether or not this was a lawful ballot measure, said, gee, it might not be, and so it's better that we delay it rather than have an illegal ballot measure go on the ballot. And then it turns out when they finally look at the merits, which, frankly, they should have taken the time to do the first time around, mm-hmm. uh, they decide, you know what, this is perfectly lawful under both the California and U.S. constitutions, and the legislature had a right to put it on the ballot. The problem was that because the legislation specifically had instructed the Secretary of State to place it on the November 4, 2014 ballot, they said, gee, that issue may be moot. That was the, the one thing, the one words in, the, in this new decision uh, a year and a half later in January of this year that they say uh, 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 it may be moot. And as I told you the last time I was on, and, mm-hmm. and apparently the Secretary of State agrees with me, uh, that seems to indicate that the legislature would have to start from scratch and reenact this bill and direct the um, and direct the uh, uh, Secretary of State to put it on the November 2016 ballot. Right. Well, the legislature has filed what's called a petition for rehearing, and they're, they're obviously not contesting the court's decision that they acted perfectly lawfully. What they're saying is that the intent of the legislature was to get the matter on the uh, on the ballot, and the date that they that they had was merely directive, so that under existing case law, that what the court should do is they should reform the measure themselves to uh, put down that the date that it must be placed on the ballot is November eight, twenty sixteen. So the state legislature essentially is saying, uh, look. You guys screwed this up on the state Supreme Court. You guys need to put this right. All you have to do in order to put it right is change the date uh, of the original statute that said put Prop 49 on the ballot in 2014. Just change the date to put Prop 49 on the ballot in 2016. That's essentially all that the Supreme Court would have to do. Is there a legal precedent for this? Do they have the power? Does the Supreme Court have the power to do this? Or do we have to? Yeah. Based on the case law, it appears that that it's a pretty solid argument they're making. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, at this point, uh, they really don't have any real opposition to their petition because the uh, uh, you know the the Secretary of State is hoping this will get on the ballot. He's just not sure he has authority to do it. And Howard Jarvis has no more standing in this case to object to it because the lawfulness of the petition was has already been decided. If, if... The state decide if the court decided against the state. Is there any question that the state legislature would simply go back and and pass this bill again, and this time say do it for 2016 instead of do it for 2014? They they could no doubt do that. One of the things that one of the things they're arguing is, hey, listen, our our membership has changed somewhat since you passed it before. We had a perfectly lawful measure. 
Why should we go to the time and expense? And then, of course, you've got to go through, what's the governor going to do this time? Is he going to veto it? Is he going to mm-hmm. just allow it to go on the ballot like he did last time? Because, in fact, last time he, uh, he, al- he did not sign it. Governor Jerry Brown didn't sign it. He allowed it to—he uh, he did not give his signature as, as a bit of a protest. But when he doesn't give his signature, it ends up being passed into law anyway. So I guess there are concerns with different membership, as you note, and with the governor's sort of lukewarm uh, uh, position on this last time. I guess there is a a question of whether passing it again, starting from scratch, would result in this getting onto the ballot for uh, uh, Golden State voters to be able to uh, ring in on. Uh, This has uh, passed, or something similar has passed, in a number of other states, uh, dozens and dozens of uh, smaller jurisdictions and cities and towns, uh, voters standing up and saying, we've had it with the Citizens United decision. We want to see a constitutional amendment of some sort uh, to overturn it. but California, state of California, has not been able to ring in on it because of that. Why is, uh, as as you see it, Ernie Canning, why is Prop 49 important for the voters to uh, to ring in on? In other words, what difference will it make if it's on the ballot, uh, you know, t- towards either a constitutional amendment, which would be exceedingly difficult, a federal constitutional amendment, or, uh, you know, a vote for some other device to overturn Citizens United, like a, a new federal law that would have to pass both houses of Congress, uh, pass constitutional muster at the right wing Supreme Court and so forth. So that would be almost as difficult as a constitutional amendment. So why is this as you see it? Why is it so important? You've been, you've been paying very close attention to this, uh, Ernie, since, it, you know, since it first came out of the state legislature. Why do you feel it's so important for the voters to be able to uh, to ring in on what will be simply, you know, little more really than an advisory measure? Well, uh, there's, there are several reasons. Uh, if you recall, I, I, I wrote about Citizens United about six, almost six years ago when the decision first came down, and I said that it was the worst decision out of the Supreme Court since Dred Scott. And Dred Scott, for those that don't remember, was the case where the court, on behalf of uh, Southern landowners, uh, essentially said that African Americans and their descendants could never become citizens, that, that were slaves, could never become citizens. And if uh, one of the uh, uh, human beings made, or one of the, the property that they were made the very human decision to run away, that the uh, the uh, slave owners had a right to their return, and it took a civil war and, and the Thirteenth Amendment to overturn that mess. And now what you have is a case where, in this case, these entities that are that live forever, but they aren't really human, and they're not what the framers of the uh, Constitution uh, ever envisioned to be citizens are given the, the, the same rights of citizens, mm-hmm. in fact, greater rights, because they can go on with those rights forever, whereas uh, ordinary uh, human beings can't. So, uh, and part of what this amendment is, it's a, a, a statement by the California people. And keep in mind, California is the largest voting jurisdiction in the country. So if, the, if you have a vote there and it's an overwhelming vote, it can have a major impact on 
what is going to happen and how we move forward with respect to a constitutional amendment, which is what you really need, because as long as you have the situation that we have now, even if, say, Bernie got in and you got a, a new Supreme Court justice overturn it, that doesn't change having the risk of the Supreme Court doing something in the future if, if the dynamics of the court were to change. But a vote on the matter, uh, on an advisory matter by the state of California. In other words, I know why we need to do away with Citizens United. I'm just, um, I'm somewhat hazy on what the difference would be if California, uh, you know, says out loud at the polls, we'd like to get rid of it. But again, you know, as you point out, it would be the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, essentially saying for the record, for the public, that uh, we at least believe out here that uh, that the Supreme Court got it wrong. And well, here, yeah. let me give you an example okay. from, from our own history in California. Uh, it, you know, we had, I forget the amendment number, but the amendment that made uh, uh, the uh, uh, United States Senate is elected rather than appointed by state legislatures, mm-hmm. direct election of senators. Right. And what happened in advance of that was the legislature in California had turned to voters and asked them uh, to weigh in, and they had a plebiscite on the matter, and I think it was something like 94% of Californians said, yes, we want that. And that became a major impetus in the pushing of that amendment. If you are a representative in California and 85 or 90 percent of the California people say we want Citizens United overturned, we want an amendment that says that corporations are not people and they're not entitled to the same rights as as living, breathing human Mm -hmm. beings. If that is what 85 or 95 percent of Californians say, then the congressional delegation and I'm including Republicans from California, are going to be hard-pressed if in Congress somebody moves to adopt an amendment and, and, and the members of the California uh, delegation oppose it, somewhere down the line, that issue is going to come up in a future election. So it makes the likelihood of, of a new constitutional amendment all, all the greater. Well, we'll see. I hope you're right. I hope it does get on the ballot that the people get to uh, uh, express their opinions about it one way or another. And by the way, I hope it passes. There's no guarantee that if it does get on the uh, on the statewide ballot that uh, this year in 2016, that it will pass. I'm speaking no with guarantee, but death and taxes. Uh, there you go. Speaking with Ernest A. Canning. All right, let's get into it. I know a lot of people are ringing in, so hang on the phones there. We're going to try to get to as many folks as we can, as many callers as we can. You can also tweet me. I am the Brad blog. All right. Ernest A. Canning, you have been working as a senior advisor now to uh, to vets for Bernie for some time. Thus, we have not seen as much of you as uh, as we might otherwise like at the Brad blog of late. I know you've been writing and advocating for Bernie at places like the L.A. Progressive uh, and, of course, at vetsforbernie.org. As a Vietnam vet yourself, how do you believe Bernie Sanders will better serve the veterans community? than uh, Hillary Clinton or Martin O'Malley, uh, or I guess for that matter, any of the GOP candidates, but that seems like an easy one. So uh, why is Bernie better for vets than, uh, than Hillary or Martin O'Malley? Well, you know, the one thing I would, I would tap into, uh, I think you saw the piece I wrote about uh, Bernie could end the scourge of veterans' homelessness. Mm-hmm. And uh, what Bernie calls that a national disgrace, and I agree with him, um, the veterans make up 11% of the adult homeless population. Nearly 48,000 
veterans uh, every night uh, go to bed homeless. Uh, there's another 1.4 million veterans that are considered at risk of homelessness, and the, it's disproportionate, the number that are African-American and Hispanic veterans. The interesting feature is that, uh, and, and by the way, some of these statistics are troubling. It, you know, the 18 to 30 range are only 9% of the homeless veterans, but mm-hmm. two-thirds of the Iraq and Afghan vet- veterans are suffering from PTSD. Um, the interesting feature of this uh, is that um, – uh, what I wrote about was there's a number of veteran-specific proposals that Bernie has, you know, improving the VA, making access better, that sort of thing. But it's actually in the area of, uh, of the uh, more broad issue, and that deals with income inequality, that Bernie's proposals are far superior to anybody else and necessary if you're going to end veterans' homelessness. And I specifically listed a couple. One is the the Rebuild uh, America Jobs Act that Bernie has proposed, which is a five-year, $1 trillion public works project um, that would restore what is a dangerously crumbling crumbling, uh, infrastructure and create 13 million jobs. Well, one of the critical – you can do all the things like access to medical care and – treatment and housing and all that, but those are mostly temporary issues. What really you really need is you need uh, uh, a, you know, people get a decent paying job and that resolves a lot of issues. So the only thing I've said there is that, uh, well, I think we need to, to look at, uh, you know, the way I look at homelessness is it's kind of unfortunate. It's the far, the lower end, and, and most of these people with homeless are also, uh, you know, go to, uh, are hungry. And, and it's, the, it's the bottom end of our, our incredible wealth disparity. I mean, in fact, it, it's, it's shocking that here we are in the richest country, not only in the world today, but ever in the history of mankind, and you have one in five children who go to bed or awaken hungry every day. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just, that's just outrageous. So my first point is that I think that although everybody that's homeless and everybody that's in dire economic straits deserves to uh, get a shot at this project if it went through. I think that it's not too much to ask, given their past service to this country, that you put the homeless veterans first in line so, and those at risk of homelessness uh, to get some of those 13 million jobs. And so this is the the plan, uh, Bernie Sanders, is his infrastructure plan, where he's, uh, I think, wants to close offshore tax loopholes for the millionaires and billionaires to pay for this huge new infrastructure uh, and jobs program. Uh, I think they talk about one trillion dollars towards the infrastructure. One and, trillion over yeah. five years, exactly what, what what he proposes. So your argument, if I understand it here, is that a program like that, which would be so good for employment in this country, so good, frankly, for the economy in this country, would would end up floating all boats, including those of of uh, veterans and homeless veterans, and that they would then be put uh, at the front of the line for some of these uh, new infrastructure jobs that uh, uh, Bernie. Is calling for. Uh, yes, and in fact, it's interesting because his what he's proposing here is is patterned not only on what FDR did to take the country out of the New Deal, but what Eisenhower did in the fifties when he he uh, repeated FDR's uh, uh, proposal using a public massive public uh, uh, works project to to basically build our interstate highway system, and at the time. The economists called that a road to prosperity. 
and it, it turned out to be that. And now what's happening, we have something like uh, uh, 75,000 bridges in this country, and one in nine bridges is considered structurally unsound. People are going to get killed if we don't do something, and we're not doing anything right now. Well, that's what we do in this country. I'm speaking with Ernie Canning from VetsForBernie.org. He is also uh, writing over at LAProgressive.org and has been a longtime legal analyst, of course, at Bradblog.com. Ernie, when I appeared on uh, Fox News some years ago in the run-up to the 2008 election, They had asked me about a charge that I think John McCain was making at the time about Obama's plans to, uh, quote unquote, for income redistribution and whether that that might hurt Obama's chances. This was on Fox News. And I noted, of course, at the time that income redistribution was just a, uh, you know, largely a Republican attempt to tar Obama at the time as a socialist, which is. Republican dog whistle for communist, which is dog whistle for Marxist, pinko, Stalinist, American capitalist, uh, hater or something of that sort. Uh, But I mentioned it, but my response, and, and I mentioned it now by way of suggesting that the right has been looking for the chance to run against a scary, scary, scary socialist for years. So I'm wondering, you and I have talked about this over the past year or two, uh, as Bernie has been considering getting in, then after he got in, what what makes you think Bernie can overcome the red baiting? And that's what it's going to be, the red baiting that is going to come at him like a house of bricks if he wins the nomination. I know that, uh, it, you know, the polls show that he does better against pretty much all of the Republicans than Hillary Clinton uh, does, according to those polls. But that's against a Hillary Clinton who the people have gotten to know for 20 years, who have ha- who has had everything thrown against them. Bernie Sanders has not really faced that. So what makes you think, uh, you know, that he'll be able to overcome that in, in some way? Because, you know, when you talk to voters who might otherwise like Bernie, that's what they seem to be frightened of right now. What's your response to that, Bernie? Well, the first is he has faced it. Uh, Kyra McCaskill already went on TV and said exactly what, what you just said, and they, that the Republicans would bring out the, the hammer and sickle ads. And mm-hmm. whatnot. But um, I think what's happening is I think there's been a fundamental transformation already in this country. Uh, I would encourage anybody who hasn't done so uh, to listen to a landmark speech on, uh, on, on what – uh, democratic socialism is that was uh, uh, pre- that was uh, uh, presented by Bernie Sanders at Georgetown University, and they can they can get a hold of it online. Well, let me and let me uh, since you mentioned that, let me go ahead and play this. This is from uh, Monday night, I think the uh, the de- I'm sorry, uh, well, whenever, yeah, Monday night, the Democratic Forum, the town hall, not a debate, the town hall. Uh, that was held up in Iowa. Bernie was asked specifically about democratic socialism and his definition of it. And here's, uh, uh, in about 60 seconds or so, here is, uh, here's, here's Bernie in his own words on this. What democratic socialism means to me is that economic rights, the right for economic security, is, should exist in the United States of America. It means to me that there's something wrong when we have millions of senior citizens today trying to get by on $11,000, $12,000 a year Social Security, it means there's something wrong when the rich get richer and almost everybody else gets poor. It means there is something wrong and government should play a role 
in making sure that all of our kids, regardless of their income, are able to get a higher education, which is why I'm calling for free tuition at public colleges and universities, and why we have to deal with this horrendous level of student debt that people are having. Now, what's going on in countries around the world, in Scandinavia and in Germany, the ideas that I am talking about are not radical ideas. So what democratic socialism means to me in its essence is that we cannot continue to have a government dominated by the billionaire class and a Congress that continues to work if for the interest of the people on top while ignoring working families. What this campaign is about and what I believe in is creating a government that works for all of us, not just a handful of people on the top. That's my definition of democratic socialism. Hmm. So that was uh, Bernie Sanders speaking, uh, speaking su uh, m Monday at the uh, Democratic Forum when asked that same question about, you know, democratic socialism. What does that mean? And of course, you know, we see papers like the New York, uh, I'm sorry, like the Chicago Tribune who came out and uh, despite what Bernie is saying, which seems in, indeed quite sensible, and, you know, these are ideas that do appeal to a majority of Americans, nonetheless, they come out and say that, uh, oh, he's going to head the, the, the Democratic Party over a cliff, uh, that his, his opinions are far out of line from the, uh, from the mainstream. All of that may not be true. And yet, we were talking about Citizens United earlier, uh, Bernie, there is... Uh, untold millions, perhaps billions, uh, that can be unleashed against Bernie Sanders. It doesn't matter if he's right or it's true or if the rest of the country agrees with him. Uh, if I called him, I'm sorry, uh, I called him Bernie. Uh, Ernie, uh, that doesn't matter. Uh, you know, no matter how much he is right, no matter how much Bernie may be right about this, if the millionaires and billionaires are going to start putting in billions of dollars, to go against this guy, uh, can he overcome it? That's the question. Can being right, is being right enough in it the post-Citizens United when age? When you're right and when, when, and when the things you are right about are overwhelmingly supported by the American people and you are able to break through uh, the electronic curtain of the mainstream media, um, the, for, take, for example, the single-payer thing that there's been all this, you know, we now know that O'Malley, like uh, Hillary Clinton, wants to defend an existing system that kills over 27,000 Americans each year simply because they're too poor to uh, uh, mm -hmm. afford health insurance, which is an improvement over the, the Republican free market system that was killing 45,000 people a year, but it's certainly not acceptable. And and what you find is Kaiser Permanente, of all people, that has a vested interest in the current system, uh, did a, uh, a, a study and found that 81% of Democrats, a vast majority of independents, and overall 59% of the American people favor a single-payer system. And when you explain what it is, I mean, there's this bait-and-switch thing about, oh, yeah, well, he's going to raise taxes to do that, mm -hmm. which ignores that you that he, he will eliminate uh, all co-pays, eliminate deductibles, he'll eliminate premiums, and guess what? 50% of, of, uh, of the, uh, 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 more than 50%, actually, of the, the b bankruptcies filed in this country 
uh, uh, are related to unpaid medical bills if you get a serious illness. Yeah. And uh, of, the, of those, uh, uh, 70% of those were people with coverage. So uh, Yeah, Ernie, but that makes my, and i got to get to a break here. Can, can you hang on a little bit after the break uh, with me and take sure, some of these callers? I, I, I wanted okay. to, in fact, I want to read you something because I, I was working on the piece, but, okay. but it's from his, his, uh, his speech at uh, Georgetown that I think people really need to hear. Okay, well, the, the point that uh, I think I'm trying to make, I think you sort of underscore in that, yes, people do support single payer, and yet with all of these years of debating uh, health care insurance reform, we end up with, not with single payer. We end up not with even public option. You know, as we're told that, oh, the idea of single payer, the idea of even a public option is just way too far to the left. We can't do it. And that is because of the propaganda machine, not necessarily because it's either right or because that's what the American people believe. And that's, I think, one of the concerns uh, about Bernie, he may Let be absolutely right. Uh, okay, we'll let you we'll let you get back to that after the break. I do got to get to a quick break, and then we will get to your calls at eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five and news updates out of Oregon and on the debates and everything else. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman burning the mother down. Uh, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with Ernest A. Canning of uh, legal advisor, a legal uh, contributor to uh, bradblog.com, but now senior advisor to vetsforbernie.org. Going to get back to him and your calls in a moment, but I want to give a couple of quick updates. First, on the, uh, uh, the standoff in Oregon. Uh, after we went off the air last night, uh, eight of the leaders of the so-called Patriots Movement occupation at the Mollier National Wildlife Refuge near the town of Burns in Harney County, Oregon, were arrested and taken into custody. That was Tuesday evening. Uh, they were traveling to a meeting in a neighboring county. Those taken into custody included both Ammon and Ryan Bundy, sons of the Nevada rancher Cliven Bundy, who uh, led the, that armed showdown with federal officials at his own ranch back in the summer of 2014. Uh, the, uh, the Oregon protesters were on the road about 20 miles from Burns, reportedly when they were pulled over by federal and state officials. One of the protesters Robert Lavoie Finnicum was shot and killed during the arrest. He had uh, recently told reporters that he would rather die than be taken into custody. He seems to have gotten his wish at this point. Here's the announcement uh, just hours ago from a, a press conference. 
uh, held today up in Oregon by FBI state and local officials. This is FBI uh, Special Agent Greg Bretzing. I will say that the armed occupiers have been given ample opportunity to leave the refuge peacefully. They have given, been given opportunities to negotiate. As outsiders to Oregon, they have been given the opportunity to return to their families and to work through the normal legal process to air their grievances. Instead, these individuals have chosen to threaten and intimidate the America they profess to love and through criminal actions bring these consequences upon themselves. So that was uh, just hours ago up in Oregon. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the standoff continues, even with those uh, eight uh, uh, protesters now uh, being held. The standoff at the actual uh, refuge, at the Malheur National Refuge, continues. Uh, there are some uh, reportedly even more radical folks uh, who were not taken into custody, who stayed behind at the refuge. They are now in charge down there, and officials have uh, reportedly drawn a tighter perimeter. Tensions are now uh, even more ratcheted up. So I, I hope we'll get more on uh, on this de- still developing story on tomorrow's broadcast. We are working on doing exactly that. Uh, tense situation in Oregon. Um, also, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump has now bowed out of Thursday's GOP debate on Fox News, which is kind of amazing, but also kind of fun. Uh, it started as a uh, uh, because he doesn't like Megyn Kelly because she asks questions that aren't perfectly sweet. He called her a lightweight. And in response, the, the smart Alex at uh, the Fox News PR uh, group said in a sarcastic statement that, quote, the Ayatollah and Putin both intend to treat Donald Trump unfairly when they meet with him if he becomes president. A nefarious source tells us that Trump has his own secret plan to replace the cabinet with his Twitter followers to see if he should even go to those meetings. That was Fox News in an actual official statement, incredibly enough. Um, instead of uh, going to that debate on Thursday night, Trump vows to hold a uh, an event to raise money for vets and wounded warriors. We now have a response from VoteVets.org, the nation's largest uh, progressive group of veterans in America. John Soltz, the uh, Iraq War veteran and chairman of Votes Vets, says, let me put it. Let me put this in language Donald Trump understands. You're a loser. You're a third-rate politician who clearly doesn't understand issues and is so scared of Megyn Kelly exposing it that you're looking to use veterans to protect you from facing her questions. Your so-called veterans plan on your website is a joke and refers to the agency as the Veterans Administration, even though it's been called the Department of Veterans Affairs for almost 30 years. It's pathetic. That group, VoteVets.org, goes on to uh, uh, call on Trump to say, don't hide from Megyn Kelly behind us. So the vets, at least the progressive ones in this large group, are not happy uh, that Donald Trump is using them in some fashion to duck the debate. 
All right. Uh, we also have some news on the Demo- on on the Democratic side of the aisle concerning debates. We'll get to that in a moment. But Ernie, uh, you very quickly, uh, you wanted to respond uh, to my question: uh, the, the the old socialist canard. And by the way, I think it's better that the more that we talk about this, the more that Ernie uh, Bernie Sanders is uh, asked about it because it allows him to give his point of view, and people hear it and they go, "Oh yeah, that's not scary at all. I'm in favor of it." So I think there's that. But you wanted to make a real quick point. Well, a couple points, Brad. One is that I don't believe that no matter what the amount of money is that um, you pour into deceptive uh, propaganda that we call political ads uh, can defeat an informed and aroused electorate. The critical feature there is informed, and I think that's the the magic of the Sanders campaign is that we are discussing issues that have been long overdue in this country. The other thing is, and it's secondary to that, you look at particularly among among millennials who are the most tech-savvy of the age groups, and Bernie is overwhelmingly supported by millennials. I think what's going on is that, and it's broader than this election, is that what you're seeing, especially among younger people, is that the mainstream media is losing its ability to manipulate or the extent of its ability to it had a, a monopoly on it of the ability to ma- manipulate public uh, opinion in this country and the more the people turn to alternative media such as your program the more the people turn to social media for as their basic source of information uh, is having an effect in this election and may have many years to come may have changed the entire dynamics of, of what we know. The, the one quote I wanted to give you, which is from, uh, from Bernie's uh, speech, mm-hmm. landmark speech, in which he follows FDR in recognizing that there can be no liberty without economic security. He says this, Roosevelt implemented a series of programs that put millions of Americans back to work, took them out of dire poverty, and restored their faith in government. He redefined the relationship of the federal government to the people of our nation. He combated cynicism, fear, and despair. He reinvigorated democracy. He transformed our country, and that's exactly what we have to do today. And by the way, almost everything he proposed, every program, every idea he introduced was called socialist. (laughs) <laughs> let me get to uh, let me get to some phones here. Eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. Since you mentioned uh, millennials uh, supporting Bernie Sanders in a big way, uh, which is so interesting that they are, uh, you know, so crazy. A big split in the electorate, in the Democratic side, uh, is in fact between young and old, uh, with uh, younger voters going in big numbers for uh, for Bernie Sanders. Uh, John in Sun Valley has a question about that. John, welcome to the broadcast, sir. What's your what's your thought or question? Question. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, after hearing that uh, that Bernie Sanders had an outpatient uh, uh, hernia operation last month or so, and then uh, and then after seeing him walk down the steps from the different stages that he speaks at, uh, I have to be concerned. Even though I'm going to vote for him, I have to be concerned about his age. Uh, if mm-hmm. uh, if installed, President Sanders would, I heard, is going to be the uh, would be the oldest president. Mm-hmm. 
All right, let me get let me get. Uh, does does he does he have a good vice president? And are you concerned, Ernie, about uh, his age? Thanks, John. Let me get a quick answer from Ernie on that. Appreciate the call, John. Your thoughts, Ernie? Well, the interesting thing is he had that hernia surgery, and he, what he did the very next day, one day after surgery, was appear and give a major address to Congress. I don't know how many other younger members of Congress could undergo surgery one day and perform what he did. Next, and quite frankly, I wish I'm younger than him. I'm 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 only 68, and I wish I had the stamina Bernie displays on the campaign trail. I would say he's in really good shape. I know he's releasing his health records, and there's nothing that's going. He's probably in a lot better shape than Hillary Clinton, who looks like uh, 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 she may be. I, I, I don't want to be unkind, but I was going to say, be nice. Okay, <laughs> be, be nice, Ernie. Let me get to uh, Fred in Los Angeles uh, very quickly. Fred, welcome to the broadcast. What is your thought or question? Oh, hi. Thank you. Uh, but, I was regarding worrying about single payer. You have to remember that Bernie. It's a different context because Obama came in and he appointed corporatists and so forth, and he was compromised. Here we have a, a, a wave that will be maintained, and Bernie will push through single-payer, because we'll also have a Democratic House, because that's how it's going to have to work. He's going to have to bring everybody on board so we're not obstructed. And it will happen because of the change. I'm a 68-year-old guy, too, by the way, and uh, I think there's a lot of older people that are with Bernie, so that's it. Fair enough. Thanks, Fred. I appreciate that thought. An optimistic Fred. Well, at least, uh, you know, if nothing else, Bernie is, is turning a lot of people uh, from a very pessimistic about the system into optimistic about the system. That's good to see. Let me get to uh, very quickly. And, and Des, we're going to have to get to the Green News report soon. So I got to go to a break. But uh, Lynette in uh, Lynette in L.A., welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind, Lynette? Thanks for taking my call. And hello to you and your guests. You know, um, I don't want to get alarmist here, but, you know, when I'm looking at um, how the foxes have been guarding the hen house, and now we have oligarchs, and I think that goes triple now, that are running, that have no interest in the regular people, and they don't live in real time. And and I think that the, the Democratic Party, period, is the ones that's living in real time, and they're not about trying to rig the system as... We know that that's how Republicans win. And, um, you know, to me, it's just like when O'Malley mentioned Puerto Rico, which is major, and when Hillary mentioned about Flint, Michigan, which I think that charges of genocide should be really charged uh, by the people of Flint, Michigan, mm. you know, if mm-hmm. we win. But I digress. And then you have Bernie Sanders. He talks about the wealth inequality issue, which is very longstanding, you know, and I don't care how much of a recovery we have had. If we don't solve that middle class issue, you know, that vacuum, and bring back those manufacturing jobs and living wages, I mean, we're never going to really recover. And uh, I think that's a, a call for... Financial and, the financial and uh, the political reform aspect of it, too. And another thing about that Prop 49... Yeah, um, quickly. I hope that we get... Hello? Yeah, yeah, Qu- go ahead, quickly. Yeah, I hope that, uh, you know, that we we really pay attention be- about this, uh, this something that's supposed to be coming on the ballot, dealing with voting, but uh, it's really about electronic voting right here in California. Mm-hmm. And California is the eighth largest economy in the world, so we might have to succeed from everybody and then uh, get some term limits on a lot of the, the things that we've been seeing at the Supreme Court level if we don't succeed, because... 
they want to make us all fashions. That's all corporate. Another that's another working definition for fascism. It's Thanks. Corporations government collusion. All right. Thank you, Lynette. I do appreciate that. And I am sorry that I do got to get to a break here. Uh, Ernie, uh, your thoughts before I go, uh, before we go very, very quickly here, the, uh, uh, the New Hampshire union leader and MSNBC have called for a new debate uh, next week between Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, but uh, Hillary Clinton has said she would do it. Martin O'Malley has said she would do it. So far, the holdout seems to be Bernie Sanders. Any insight into into that and why he's not saying, yes, I'll take it? Uh, I, I don't know the answer, but I think the ideal thing would be for all three candidates to arrange a, uh, a public news conference if they have to be on video feed because they're in different places. And all three of them sh- should say that they agree not only to that debate, but to a whole new debate schedule between the three of them, if, if Debbie Wasserman Schultz doesn't want to go along with it too bad, and uh, and I think that uh, uh, that their campaign should work out a complete new debate schedule running all the way up through the California primary, and that that the, that the American people deserve to make an informed decision, and all three candidates should make sure that they get it. Hey, thanks for your time, Ernie Canning. We'll have you back again soon. There was so much more I wanted to ask you about, but we will try again uh, down the line. i got to take a quick break, get to Green News, and maybe a, a call or two if I have time left, so hang on the line. That's uh, Ernest A. Canning. Uh, retired attorney, author, Vietnam veteran, and currently serving as senior advisor to Veterans for Bernie at vetsforbernie.org. Thank you, Ernie. All right, a quick break, and we'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stop the clock, actually, uh, to melt for you, uh, Desi Doyen. I, I, it drives me crazy. We, we now, we've been doing this uh, show on a daily basis now for uh, going on a year, and I still can't fit everything in, even though we do it five days a week. I know, there's still too much to talk about. It's crazy. About. <laughs> I always squeeze you uh, to the back of the... Anyway, uh, and I think you've got an update on our latest Green News report, so let's get to it uh, so we can do it, and then we will do the update. Uh, right, right. that sounds go? good, yes. All right, let's do it. Here we go, our latest Green News report. Yeah, well, you know, this, this storm uh, actually is overperforming. Winter Storm Jonas, or Blizzard 2016, cripples the East Coast. Snow falling at the rate of three to five inches an hour. There's little doubt in my mind that this storm was juiced. And yes, it was turbocharged by global warming. Obama's landmark clean power plan survives its first court challenge. New rules to curb methane emissions for drillers and frackers. Plus, China overtakes Germany as the solar leader of the world. Take me to your solar leader. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We are conducting an experiment on not only the atmosphere, but the oceans, and hoping that everything turns out okay. Oh, silly meteorologist, what do you think you can do? Predict the future? Oh, wait. This is your Green News Report.
Okay, Desi Doyen, well, for once, we had a monster storm that lived up to its name across uh, a whole swath of the East. And it looks like, once again, climate change was behind it. Yep, millions of people are still digging out from the Great Blizzard of 2016, also known as Winter Storm Jonas, if you watch the Weather Channel. I don't. The historic storm dumped three to four feet of snow across parts of the eastern U.S., a season's worth of snow in just one storm, crippling major cities, killing 30 people, and bringing with it a huge storm surge along the eastern seaboard. Jonas broke the record for the biggest one-day snowfall for New York City. Washington, D.C. saw its second-largest snowfall on record. According to meteorologist Paul Douglas on the broadcast, record warm ocean temperatures in the Atlantic Ocean was the fuel that turbocharged this storm. Because we had a record warm year in 2015, because December was staggeringly warm out east, the water was even warmer. And this was the equivalent of pouring rocket fuel on a Bic lighter. Once the nor'easter did start to spin up, it intensified into a bomb that was able to suck all this additional Atlantic moisture inland and hurl it at New York and Philly and Washington and all points in between. Well, I'd like to hurl something at uh, Washington, D.C. at least at this point, and I should note... Paul Douglas, the veteran meteorologist, is a Republican and an evangelical Christian, and he is trying like hell to get his Republican Christian colleagues to start taking action on this climate crisis. And in fact, as Douglas mentioned, the world's oceans are warming at an increasingly faster rate, according to a new study from Lawrence Livermore National Lab in California. The amount of man-made heat energy absorbed by the oceans has doubled since 1997. Put another way, that means that half of all man-made heat that's been absorbed by the ocean has occurred since just the year 2000. Amazing. Meanwhile, the Obama administration has released new draft rules to cut methane emissions from the oil and gas extracted from public lands. Right now, drillers are allowed to waste much of the gas that they produce by flaring or burning off excess natural gas on site without paying royalties to the public. These new rules, which will go through a public comment period, will require drillers and frackers to plug leaks of methane, a potent greenhouse gas, install equipment to capture the leaked gas, and increase the royalties that they pay for extracting that fuel from the public's property. Gentlemen, start your lawsuits. Well, speaking of lawsuits, President Obama's landmark clean power plan, the first ever emission standards for power plants, has survived its first legal hurdle. A coalition of major utilities and Republican state attorneys general have sued to halt any movement on these new standards while it's under litigation. But that move was soundly rejected by the D.C. Court of Appeals. That leaves the new standards in place, meaning that states must continue to implement the clean power plan in the meantime. This is only the first legal hurdle. Many more are to come. No doubt. And now a new study finds that the U.S. can't cut its greenhouse gas emissions by nearly 80 percent over the next 15 years and at a cost much less than previously predicted using existing technology. That's according to researchers at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They say that because the cost of wind and solar has fallen much faster than expected, rapid deployment of wind and solar plus upgrading our aging electric grid would not only cut U.S. emissions by as much as 80 percent, but would ultimately save U.S consumers $42 billion every year. Yeah, well, it might save U.S. consumers that, but it won't save the owners of the fossil fuel companies, and we all know they're in charge. 
Finally, China has now overtaken Germany as the solar leader of the world. According to GreenTechMedia.com, China has been investing upwards of $150 billion a year in mass deployment of wind and solar energy resources, more than twice what the U.S. invests year over year. China increased its deployment of solar panels more than 40 percent over last year alone, making it the solar leader, surpassing even Germany the amount of full installed solar capacity. Oh, don't tell the Republicans. They said that China would never stop burning coal. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Okay, just a quick update on that winter storm, mm-hmm. Jonas. I'm um, sad to say that the death toll, of course, has risen. They say now at least 49 people. More bodies are being found mm-hmm. as people get buried out. It's mostly from car accidents, carbon monoxide poisoning, and heart attacks from shoveling snow. And let me point out once again that that's a hell of a lot more uh, Americans than have been killed by Islamic terrorism in this entire country since 9-11. So, yes, uh, climate change matters. Extreme weather matters. Global warming matters. No, it's not a hoax. Yes, it is a threat to our nation. Uh, Okay, uh, my thanks as ever to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest today, Ernest A. Canning of both Bradblog.com and now VetsForBernie.org. Very quickly, one tweet that came in uh, over the past few minutes from our old friend D.R. Tucker of Washington Monthly. He says, I'll say it again. If the electorate can be induced to vote against Sanders because the media screams socialist, then the country is effectively over, gone the way of the Roman Empire. That's what Dr. Tucker has to say. I will leave that tweet without comment. You can tweet me anytime. I am the Brad Blog. You can also drop me email. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. All right. Thank you to uh, all of the listeners and all of the callers. Sorry we could not get to everyone, but tomorrow is another day. I hope you will join me. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.